0: Welcome to Detoxicity. This is a podcast in which I try to change the narrative around masculinity a little bit and allow some progressive voices and some interesting voices, diverse voices, to come into the picture. My name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce this show, and I thank you very, very much for listening and for supporting from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you are subscribing to it. If you aren't, please press the subscribe button on wherever it is you're listening to it, and uh, that way you'll get episodes on demand when they come, uh, which is usually on Wednesday mornings. I also certainly ask that you uh, spread the word. Uh, Please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, Make sure you leave a comment if you have something nice to say or if you have something constructive to say. It doesn't all have to be nice. And by all means, tell your friends, tell anyone who you think might get some Creative juice, or inspirational juice, or just would uh, you'd like to listen to this? Please spread the word, uh, however you can. I am on social media. If you would like to follow me, I am on Instagram at detoxpodguy. My Twitter is on hiatus for a little bit. It will come back but it is tis Mike Joseph. Feel free to follow me on either of those platforms. There is also facebook.com slash detoxicity. And if you have a comment, you can email me, detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the lookout for new guests. So if you know somebody who you think has an interesting story to tell or something to add to the overall conversation around detoxifying masculinity, please reach out to me via any of those platforms. And certainly if you yourself would like to be a part of this podcast, please reach out, let me know. Once again, I thank you for listening. What's the dream for you? Do you think that status and money can buy you happiness? Is a six-figure paycheck and a jet-set lifestyle your ultimate goal? While I'm not saying those aren't good goals to have, there are plenty of people who have reached what they thought was the mountaintop only to realize that what they wanted wasn't there. Uh, Such is the case with this episode's guest, Jared Salikin. Uh, For a while, Jared was a baller. Uh, He put his entrepreneurial mindset to good use, and then, at the age of 25, had an epiphany and turned his back on everything that had built him up until that point and started over. Uh, These days, he runs a food business and works primarily as a mental health advocate with a podcast called The Journey with Jared, which is how I found out about him. Uh, In addition to discussing Jared's quarter-life crisis and why he is now such a staunch supporter of mental health awareness, he and I also go deep on body dysmorphia and how it can affect men, uh, how he feels these days about honesty and confrontation, And we talk about the stereotypes that somewhat fairly apply to his native canada and i believe he is our first guest on detox located outside the u.s so everybody welcome jared enjoy the conversation
1: my name is jared salkin from calgary alberta canada have lived kind of a non-traditional path jump around a whole bunch Went to university, did a bachelor of science degree, realized I was never going to use it. Kind of I would say in my third or fourth year there, but fell in love with entrepreneurship, which kind of started me down a, a cool path. So I ran a small little painting business while I was in university, did pretty well with it, was able to pay for university myself by doing it. After that, we did a cold press juice company, I did a meal prep and delivery company, ran a restaurant for a little while with never working a day in my life in a restaurant. I was like, I've eaten at restaurants before, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) never worked in one, but ended up running it for a couple of years, which kind of led me to what I deemed my quarter life crisis, which I thought was amazing branding and I was a genius for coming up with that. And then I started talking to people and realized that no is a very common thing. It's, and, it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
1: As much as I would have liked to think I was not the only one that went through it, but blew up my life uh, at 25, walked away from business. i had been building for three years, walked away from um, almost every relationship in my life, really committed to my mental health, a bunch of personal development A little bit before that, I had started therapy, which led to some of those realizations about my life and why it wasn't necessarily the life that I wanted to be living and was actually very unconscious. And I was driven by a lot of things that weren't actually my own wants and desires. And then from there, joined a men's group. COVID hit, which for the first time in my life, I was forced to stop and, you know, kind of joke that I locked myself in my room for a year and had to deal with my demons and many many um, of us did that (laughs) yeah but had to go through a lot work on a lot of old programming looked back at a lot of things in my childhood some of the things that had led me to my thought patterns living life for others trying to gain approval a bunch of that different kind of things and then emerged from that after I mean Two-ish years, I thought I was fine, and then realized I'm still working through things. Now, you know, just working as a bartender to pay the bills and have a couple different side projects on the go. The first one being how we actually met was I have a podcast, Mm -hmm. Journey with Jared, and. Where that kind of started was through that quarter-life crisis while in the men's group. We were setting goals and it was something that scared me the most to do is to put myself out there to be in the quote-unquote spotlight of having the attention on me and I really made the commitment to talk about a lot of the things that I personally struggled with and didn't really know what it was going to be about when I first started it but it really turned and morphed into uh, focused around a lot of mental health, personal development, just talking to a lot of people of all different ages, but a lot of people in our age group, their life, their struggles, just having cool conversations with cool people. <laughs> and then on the side also, right now I'm running a direct-to-consumer pierogi business. So using my grandma's recipe, making pierogies, freezing them, selling them. And I've been dabbling with that for about a year, but really started taking it seriously about four months ago. And so, yeah, I like to keep myself busy. I like to jump around and kind of have my hand in a lot of different pots. So
0: So the quarter-life crisis thing. I don't know when specifically that happens for people, but it it does happen for a lot of people. The first time I actually heard the term quarter-life crisis used was John Mayer used it in a song. Uh, Really? Yeah, on his first album called Why Georgia? And uh, he sings about having potentially having a quarter-life crisis. And that looks like different things to different people. And I think... Without really being able to put a finger on what my own quarter life crisis, which I guess at this point in my life would be a midlife crisis, without putting a finger on exactly how that worked out for me or what it looked like for me, what did that look like for you? Was there just a moment when you were like, full stop, things are incredibly wrong? Or was it just a gradual noticing of things maybe not? being as together as you thought they were that you wanted them to be?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's a little bit of both. It was a big buildup and then it was also a specific moment that I remember. So the big buildup was starting that journey of therapy and Mm -hmm. starting to look at some of those demons, starting to question really really a lot of what I wanted for my life. And I kind of went into that a little bit in the intro, but to expand on it, starting to ask myself, why are you doing this? Why do you act this way? Why do you think this way? And as I started drilling down into those, I I really started to realize that I didn't know who Jared was. I didn't know what I actually wanted. I didn't know how I wanted to act, the person that I wanted to be, because I was always trying to be the perfect version that somebody else wanted me to be. Hmm. And so I'd find people that I wanted to impress, that I wanted to gain their approval, typically like a strong male figure. And I would go, okay, what do I need to do to be important to that person, to show that person my worth? A bunch of those different narratives in my head. Started going through those and started finding my own voice, which was also interesting of, you know, started having my own opinion, started wanting to do things my own way. And not just kind of turning over whenever there's a disagreement and going with the other person, you know, work has always been a very large part of my life. And so it kind of blends together with work personal because I truly do enjoy when I have projects that I want to be working on. When I <laughs> really, don't, I struggle a ton. <laughs> and I really- uh, yeah, and so I uh, started asking those questions, started digging into the mental health side of things. And so that slow build led me up to a point where I'd started working at a tech company. And from the outside looking in, it was, I was traveling the world for free, basically. Like in a year, I went to New York twice. I went to Vegas twice, did London, England, Germany. I spent a month in Dubai, kind of as a traveling sales guy. I had a a nice title um, in the company and was just not happy at all. And it was realizing it was the first time I'd been put into a box for a long time. It was... A lot of times I had so much freedom to go and do whatever I wanted and kind of do things my way. And for the first time, here's this employee box that you have to fit into and you have to do things a certain way and you don't have that freedom. And honestly, I turned into a terrible employee <laughs> and I would sit there I'd sit on my computer. I'd read articles all day, you know, for the eight hours of work that I would do is probably only three hours that I was actually working.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that, that's what led to that one big moment and i was sitting there one day and i went this is how people lose 5 10 years of their life is they fall into this routine it's comfortable you know they're putting something off they're putting hard decisions off and i knew i didn't want that i didn't want to lose those years i didn't want to be stuck and so i had to do a pretty pretty big break pretty clean break it was right around the time that i had uh hip surgery as well. And so that made it a little bit easier. Of It was an external thing of, no, I actually need to physically leave. And so it was more of a, I'm not going back. It was is a very complicated story, lots of things intertwined, but that also involved me stepping away from that business that I was building at the same time, which I'd literally put every single cent that I had to my name into. So that led to a ton of debt, which I'm still trying to get out of. It led to No real plan for how I'm going to have an income after that and stepping into all those unknowns, but knowing that I had to do that for my happiness. Yeah, because I didn't want to get stuck.
0: Now, there's two things that come to my mind after this part of the conversation. One is I'm trying to put myself into the minds of, of most people. I do that a lot and I should probably stop doing it, but. This is something I'm going to do for maybe for the last time this time. I'm I'm (laughs) lying. I'm probably going to keep doing it. I feel like most people, given the choice between something that's stable and making them a lot of money versus taking care of their own mental and physical health, would probably choose the stability in money, Mm -hmm. which... mm, You can make arguments for that. I would make arguments against that. What was it in you that caused you to walk away from what some would consider the easier path or the more quote unquote successful path of being financially secure and work secure and being a big shot at a tech company to take care of your health?
1: Yeah, it, it was funny because just the, the contrast between the internal world and the external world was so huge for me. It was big title. It was lots of responsibility, people looking up to me and knowing though on the inside that I was not happy at all and almost felt like I was in jail. And that's the only way to explain it was I, I honestly felt like I was in jail, like I was trapped, like there's nothing that I could do, which made me realize the gravity of the decision. However, it led to me knowing there was only one decision to be made. It was that I had to choose my happiness because I was absolutely miserable. That I didn't know how much longer I could go on. I didn't know what it would lead to, but I knew it was only bad things. So that made the choice easier It didn't necessarily make the follow through any easier at all. (laughs)
0: Sure, (laughs) I'm sure there was a lot of second guessing and third guessing and why the hell am I doing this and what's going on?
1: For sure. I think one of the most telltale signs though was the inner peace that I felt when I'd made the decision. That even though I knew how difficult it was going to be, the inner peace just being like, no, this is the right decision. And every cell in my body just being like, no, this is what you need to do. This is how you have to do it. That made it a lot easier. It made it a lot harder when people questioning it, every single person in my life, (laughs) from my parents to family or to friends. If you're
0: doing it for yourself, then what does it matter what everyone else thinks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the more powerful part is, of course, looking back. While you're in those moments, it's definitely difficult. But looking back on it now, I went from, again, that so much external validation, so much external pride to... Being, taking such a step back. I went from running a restaurant to becoming a busboy in a restaurant. And yet I could tell on the inside, I, would, I had never been happier. And that was the really interesting part for me was seeing that because it scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> of taking a step back, and I had tied so much to my professional accomplishments, what I had accomplished, what I had done, what my title was, that I was so always so afraid to take that perceived step back. But after taking it, realizing just how important that internal stuff was.
0: The other question that I had is uh, maybe kind of a silly question. This is I guess for you to judge. There is the stereotype of people that come from where you come from as being very nice and agreeable. (laughs) And you talk about being sort of a non-confrontational type of person prior to your quarter-life crisis Mm -hmm. and wanting to impress some people. Where did that come from? Is that ingrained? Is that cultural? Uh, What is that?
1: You know, I've done a lot of digging around that. And it's, it's funny, we definitely have that rep for not being super confrontational, for being super nice. And I think maybe there's a little bit of that. But as I dug into it, actually, I realized a lot of it had come from my childhood. And in my family, there was lots of fighting all the time. It was constant Hmm. fighting. And what I had learned, quote unquote, learned was that there's no such thing as a disagreement. There's you're fine or you're a 10 out of 10 screaming.
0: Holy Holy shit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so, because of that, because of that conditioning, I was always so afraid of confrontation. Because in my mind, subconsciously, I went, No, if I disagree with this person, if I get into a disagreement with them, it's going to turn into a screaming match. We have to go 10 out of 10. There's no other option. There's no six out of 10. There's no seven out of 10. Or like crazy to think about, like a two. (laughs) Right. But that's where a lot of it had come from. And so, I had to learn how to have confrontations, how to have disagreements with people and know that it's okay. Uh, we can have a disagreement and then we can go back to being fine right afterwards because we don't have to agree on every single thing. So that's where a lot of my fear of confrontation had come from.
0: And where are you in that process? I mentioned this because I'm still trying to kind of figure that out myself. I have historically as an adult, been a non-confrontational human being, because I also tend to go from zero to 10, and it's more of self-protection yeah. than it is any, anything else. Wh- where are you in your journey to be able to confront people or face a confrontation without feeling attacked or like you have to attack? Uh, a
1: lot better. Yeah. A lot, a lot better for sure. There's still those situations where I'm like, I, I don't yeah, I don't want to step into this. But I, I find it a lot easier and I feel like it's now my choice. I think that's the, the best way to describe it is okay. I now have a choice in the matter of whether or not I want to step into this confrontation. Uh, do I want to engage or do I not want to engage? And that can be from any multitude of different reasons. It might be just, I don't find it, it's not important enough for me to cause that confrontation. It could be, this scares me, I don't want to step into this confrontation. But I was given a lot of of leeway in the men's group and that's kind of where I got to experiment with it. It was a very safe environment that I was in with men that I cared about and I knew that they cared about me. And because of that, I was able to play around with it. I was able to step into it and know that if I went a little too far, then that was okay. They would pull me back. If I didn't go far enough, then they would also call me out on it of like, no, I don't think you're saying everything that you want to say. And so being able to feel those consequences and learn how to do it and learn your body's reaction to it. And honestly, I think because I had suppressed it for so long, whenever that confrontation would come up, it was the years of anger or anxiety or whatever Uh coming up and feeling like it's going to explode. And so it almost felt like that pressure valve of slowly letting it a little bit out and a little bit out and a little bit out of a lot of times I can step into it a lot calmer now. And so, yeah, great strides, but not perfect yet.
0: Not totally where you want to be yet. So so this men's group, how did you find it or was it something that you specifically set out to look for or did it fall into your lap?
1: It kind of fell into my lap and it's a funny story because it started in therapy talking to my therapist of wanting to experience different things and see what else was out there and not really knowing what my interests were and so she said just keep an eye out and look for different things and try them like you don't know until you actually go and try them and so randomly one day on instagram i was scrolling through and i saw a face and i was like i know this guy where do i know this guy from and (laughs) a person that i knew did a bio on my, my now good friend, Andy. And I read through it and talked about, he had started this thing called King of Hearts with a couple of other guys. And it was talking about men's mental health and they were doing a meetup. And so I looked into it and I went, ah, I'll show up, right? And I didn't tell a soul I was going. I went by myself. I told myself, I'm not going to say a word when I get there. I'm going to hide in the corner. I'm just going to observe. We're going to see what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, it was the first time that I had heard other people talking about things that I struggled with right and whether that be I, I remember the, the most powerful and concrete example I have is it coming up of other men struggling with body image issues and be like wait guys aren't allowed to struggle with that I'm the only one that struggles with that and hearing that fi- actually being able to share a little bit in that first meetup voicing my opinions sharing some of my struggles and getting to know those guys a little bit more and you know they let me know that they were starting a men's group as well And it was a little bit more, a little more intense, go a little bit more into depth as, you know, the same people instead of open to everybody and just something about it. When I want to try that out, I want to see what it's all about. One thing led to another. I was part of the group for about a year before I stepped away. And it's crazy to me. Some of my best friends in my life are still from that group that I randomly saw from an Instagram post of that guy kind of looks familiar. So.
0: I feel like relationships grow or relationships become more solid, the more you reveal to a person or the deeper that person or those people know you. And one thing that I try to constantly bring up on this podcast, and even in in my non-podcast life, is the idea that you're not in a good relationship unless, I mean, that person doesn't have to know every single thing about you. But you have to have a relationship that's predicated on honesty. And men in particular, I don't know if we are trained or conditioned to not bullshit people. So I, I assuming that you were brought up in a, a similar fashion, what has it been like to really kind of take off the cloak and, and reveal yourself and, and be emotionally honest to two people For sure. that aren't a, like a blood family member or a romantic partner or something like that.
1: As I started discovering more and looking back on, on my life and started on that journey, I realized that one of my biggest struggles was perfection. And I had this idea in my head that in order to be worthy of love, I need to be perfect. And what that led to was never truly being vulnerable with anybody because I can't tell you something that is wrong with me, because that means I'm not perfect. I can't have anything Mm. wrong with me. That means I'm not perfect. If I'm not perfect, you're not going to like me. And so I'm going to not only be the person that I think you want me to be, but I'm not going to tell you anything I'm actually struggling with. And so breaking that down and actually being vulnerable, actually telling, you know, people, that I struggle with things seem like the end of the world of uh, that. If I tell them this one little minor thing, or if I disagree with, they're going to hate me, they're going to hate me. They're, you know, they're never going to talk to me again. That's the end of this relationship. And it was crazy of time and time again, I was showing that it actually brings people closer, just like you said, of they felt like they were able to relate more to me and then they would open up more to me. And, you know, it, it challenged Every single thinking pattern that I had my entire life of like, wait a minute, you like me more because there's things wrong with me that can't be right. And trying it out more and more and more, not only with more superficial things, but really diving deep into my core insecurities, the core struggles, some of the things that I've gone through and realizing not only, yes, it brings us closer, but I've always been a very supportive person and it allows me to support those people better as well.
0: So how does the line flow from men's group to podcasts?
1: Yeah, so so in the group, we used to do uh, monthly goals. And so I'd kind of talked about it. And I mentioned it very briefly earlier, was one thing I realized, the thing that I wanted most in the world, and the thing that scared me the most in the world was being in the quote unquote spotlight. And that doesn't necessarily mean like fame or anything like that, but having the attention on me having people see me, having people hear me. That's all I ever wanted. And as soon as the attention was on me, it felt so uncomfortable. I was like, no, get it off. And so after realizing that, I went, okay, well, if I do something out in public, that kind of hits that chord. And I "I can talk to people, right? I can do a podcast. I'm sure that'll be fine. (laughs) And so I, I set the goal for myself. I had to do three podcast episodes in that month. I recorded them, no problem when you're just recording, when it's just you and another person, of course, nerves, but I can get through that. And sure. then the day came as like the last day of the month. Like, okay, I need to publish these now. And there was no big announcement. I hadn't told many people about it. And it took me 45 minutes to hit the button. Everything was up. Ha!
0: Everything was where were, you just, <laughs> yeah. were you just sitting there With your finger over the keyboard, like, second-guessing yourself again?
1: Yeah, literally, like... I'd go to hit it, and I'd be like, "No, you know what? Okay, let's think about this. <laughs> you know? Think about it. Go to hit it again. No, 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 I'm not ready. Go take a lap around the room. And five more minutes.
0: Five, more, five minutes. more minutes.
1: Five more minutes. Yeah. And finally, it was just like, okay, I gotta hit. I gotta hit it, and it felt like a life or death situation. It was crazy. The just visceral reaction that I was getting to putting this out there. And in the first couple episodes, I don't even think that I shared that much about me. It was mostly just the guests and asking them questions. So I did that. I kept the goals going of so many episodes and uh, forced myself to basically do once a week for the first year or a little bit over a year. And it, it led to me growing a ton and, you know, a little bit selfishly, a lot of my own growth came from that. And again, that idea of perfection for me, putting it out in public of my struggles and i did an episode on body image i've done episodes on me going to therapy you know some of my insecurities it was funny how freeing it was of shining lights on those things and not keeping them in the dark and letting them fester and even if there's only a couple of people that listen to the episode in my brain i'm like no i've put this out to the world so i can just assume now that everybody knows it i don't have to worry about them finding out anymore i don't have to worry about them figuring out what I struggle with or seeing that I'm insecure about this because it's out there already. So I can just assume that they know.
0: Has that changed your personal relationships at all?
1: It has for sure. It has definitely changed them and it's allowed me to be more myself. And it was funny. I was just saying this the other day of for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm discovering who Jared actually is, which is a really cool, feeling for me because I'd never experienced that and like we had just finished talking about it it definitely brought me closer to a lot of different people and it's also allowed me to to support them in such more deep ways and it's I can now pull from my own experiences and working through them instead of really keeping it at that surface level we're able to really go into it and I'm able to share with them and create that vulnerability to Allowed them to open up to me, of uh, leading with my own vulnerability. Hey, this is I've struggled with this, or oh, you know, it might be similar to this time when I was going through this, or just, just showing them that straight. piece of yourself allows them to open up to me a lot more, so that we can really get into the problem instead of dancing around it.
0: And again, that leads to a stronger bond. I think when you're upfront with people, when you're open and honest with people. Most times they will give you that honest energy back, and it just leads to a more transparent uh deeper conversation for lack of a better term
1: for sure and as we started to open up seeing old friendships get closer of we've known each other for five years, and yet in this last six months, I feel like you know we've gotten ten times closer than in the you know four and a half years before that oh, or right. You know, the other interesting one for me was these new relationships that I've that I've built, whether they be friendships um, or romantic relationships or whatever they may be, you know, feeling closer to them and feeling like I know them more than some of those people I've known my entire life.
0: Yep. Yeah. I, I, I'm just nodding my head because I relate to everything that you're saying. One thing that's come up in a bunch of recent interviews I've done, which didn't really come up in the early days of detoxicity, and not for lack of anything other than it just not coming up, is has been body image. Mm. And um, I'm curious what your journey was and is through any body image issues and where you're at with that now.
1: For sure. Yeah. It was something that I struggled with for a very, very long time and, you know, still do to a degree of thinking back on it as a child and being bullied for being chubby or whatever it might be, you know, as kids do, but internalizing that so much and taking it as part of my identity, which is so funny because I always identified myself as fat or chubby or whatever it might be. The hardest part for me before I started talking about it was almost the shame cycle of, again, I had never heard another man talk about body image issues. And so I went, I'm the only one that struggles with this, which made me feel shame, which made me, you know, feel worse about my body, which made me feel more shame. <laughs> and I just kept going it's a cycle. and going and going. To be, to be extremely vulnerable with you here for most of my yes. life, looking at myself in the mirror, the overwhelming you know, feeling that I would get was disgust of every single thing about me. I would pick out, I would go, this isn't good enough. That looks bad, you know, crazy little things. And as I look back on it, seeing just how, you know, ridiculous, some of them were of like, Ooh, my right shoulder is bigger than my left shoulder. Right. Or my calves aren't as developed as they should be. And even if something got better, I would just go and pick on something else. It got to the point where I remember in junior high, I was always very uh, self-conscious about my chest and like having man boobs. And so I actually changed my posture to be crouched over and I would bring my shoulders forward to hide my chest. And that's how I always walked around.
0: That's how you would walk?
1: That's how I walked. That's how I stood. That was me all the time was I was so uncomfortable. I didn't want anyone to see my chest that I'd try to hide it in my everyday life. And really realizing... That something was up because I've gone through two major weight losses in my life. The first time I lost 50 pounds and then over the last, you know, two years ago, I lost 40 pounds. And especially in that first one, going from as 245 at my heaviest and I went down to 195 and I did not see my body any differently. Looking back on it, I realized, oh, body image actually has nothing to do with how you look. It's all about how you perceive yourself. Mm hmm. And so that was in the first meeting with the King of Hearts there that I went to, to that that meetup hearing Andy talk about how he got basically mad at a store associate because he tried on a small shirt and it was too big. And she's like, oh, we might have an extra small. And that just wrecking him of like, oh, I haven't been working out enough. I'm tiny again and blah, blah, blah. And it blew my mind because it was the complete opposite of me. And abortion. especially looking mm-hmm. at him and I went, no, he's a fit guy. I would kill to be that muscular, or smaller, or whatever, but he struggles at the same time. And it kind of blew that, that perception for me of, oh, it's an,
0: it's an interesting thing. I, I've been all over the size map, but I had a pretty serious weight loss over the summer due to some medication that I'm currently on. Mm-hmm. And I lost about 25 pounds and I was a smaller guy to start. Now I'm a super small guy. And it's, I, I mean, I definitely have, I have have major body image issues and have always had going back from being a kid and not being taught to appreciate my body or never seeing anybody around me be comfortable in their body. And then being a chubby kid or chubby teenager, late teenager, early adult. And also now with people being like, oh, you've lost a bunch of weight. Why have you lost so much weight? And me having to explain it to people, because now people think that I'm sick. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm not, I mean, other than, you know, the fact that I'm diabetic, which I've been for 13 years, 14 years now, but it puts me in a weird place Mm. where now I'm almost like, I don't want to have this conversation with people because it's just going to send me into a weird place. If I'm sick, and I want you to know I will volunteer that information yeah. to you. But also there are times when I look in the mirror and I still see the person I was when I weighed 205 pounds, yeah. as opposed to the person that I am now that I weigh 150 pounds. It, it's uh, the mind and the things that you're told have a very powerful impact on how you perceive yourself.
1: Oh, for sure. And I think we we come up with these these ideas in our head that turn into truths. Uh, this is how I identify, this is what I am. Whether that's chubby, whether that's too skinny, whether that's sickly or whatever it is, right? Th- that gets stuck in our brain. And I'm curious for you, just for my own curiosity, but what, what was that spiral that it put you into when people would ask? Or what was that bad place that it would bring you to?
0: It almost turns me into someone who's like, maybe I am sick. Should I go back to the doctor and figure out what's going on? The doctor told me that there'd be weight loss involved. And I, uh, funnily enough, I was at the doctors maybe two weeks ago and I asked look is this weight loss and he was like that's exactly what we were wanting you to do so it's just like I don't know it it, I try to get into other people's heads a lot and it's a habit that I wish I I didn't have so when somebody asks me that question I almost feel as though they're asking me are you healthy gotcha and that causes me to question whether I'm actually healthy or not
1: yeah That makes a ton of sense. You know, one that I've run into recently, which I had never thought of, was typically, especially for women, it's uh, as soon as you lose any sort of weight, you're praised. Like, wow, you look so good. Wow. Like, how did you lose all that weight? Like, you look amazing, whatever it might be. All that positive reinforcement, all that positive, those affirmations, those external affirmations. And, you know, as my one friend, when I went through my weight loss this last time, when she first saw me, she went, are you okay? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, did you lose that weight healthily? And it, she opened up to me later of she had gone through a pretty big weight loss in her life and got all those affirmations, everyone telling her how good she looked. And they didn't know that it was because she had developed an eating disorder, right? Mm-hmm. And funny enough, I had another friend that opened up to me fairly recently as well of like... You know, I'm getting all this affirmation. People are telling me just how good I look and I haven't really told anybody, but that's because I developed a eating, an eating disorder and that's how I lost the weight and having those, those very strong forces pulling in opposite directions, knowing that an eating disorder is not good for me, but getting so much positive affirmation from the people around me about how good I look and those, yeah,
0: those mix. It perpetuates the cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I've had that as well where people are like, "Wow, you look good." And I'm like, "What was wrong with me before?" Yeah. And in my head I'm like, "Well, I guess I'm not going to eat lunch today. I'm just going to have a smoothie because uh, this is the way that I should be sustaining my my body." Again, it turns into this complicated cycle, particularly when you are neurotic or an overthinker or whatever you want to call it, cuz Again, I have a, a bad habit of attempting to get into other people's heads and figure out what they're actually thinking and maybe not trusting my own train of thought. Yeah. And that can lead down a pretty bad place.
1: For sure, and one of the most interesting ones on my journey with it was I had arbitrarily decided what you know the perfect body looked like for everybody. And I was like, no, 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 this is mm. what I should look like for you to think that I'm attractive or for you to think that I have a nice body or that I'm masculine or whatever it might be. And talking to other people and hearing them straight out be like, no, (laughs) I don't like that.
0: Right, right. Right. And it's another thing that I can relate to, particularly when I was in the middle of the coming out pro, or when I initially started the coming out process, because there have been various coming out processes in my life. Mm -hmm. I was a little chubby. And in those times, this is maybe the mid nineties, the queer male community was very body conscious. And if you weren't muscled up or super slim or just you had to be fit. Mm. And there was definitely a premium put on how put together you were. And if you were a little overweight or you had a particular type of body, then you were a bear or you were a cub and you'll only be attractive to people who are into bears and cubs and that kind of stuff. I still see it when I'm on the apps and stuff like that. But psychologically speaking, it can be really damaging to force people into a particular body image. And I know women have it much worse than men do in this case, but to, to force people into a particular body image, because that's, the the norm of what's seen as attractive Mm -hmm. so i think post social media there's a lot more positive body images floating around but i'm sure that there are still people who think that they have to be a slave to the gym or they have to work out x amount of times or they have to take steroids or or do this much stuff or have weight loss surgery or whatever it is just so they can be it's not a matter of their health it's a matter of looking good for other people yeah or or falling into someone's idea of what attractive is someone's very narrow idea of what attractive is
1: yeah yeah for sure and i i feel like a lot of times too it comes from what are you what are you either trying to hide you know or you know what about yourself i can only speak from my perspective but it was you know i don't feel like i'm good enough the way i am so therefore i need to be different and that's Mm -hmm. for sure involved my body I think another one that really helped me kind of get over it and start that that healing process was not going from such a negative self-talk place it seemed impossible to get to a place where like love your body like being 100% that you know great with it of like you know I'm perfect just the way I am and amazing but i went there's no way i can get there It seemed like such (laughs) a stretch and so i switched it up a little bit on my journey i went i'm gonna go to being at least neutral with myself instead of just like disgust let's go to like i'm just okay with this this is fine there could be things that are better there could be things that are worse but let's get to that neutral place first and that seemed like a much more attainable thing, a much more attainable goal of, okay, now that I'm getting there, now we can actually work on approving of my my own body, liking it and loving it. And that really helped me was taking it down a notch instead of trying to go from one extreme to the other right away.
0: To the other. Yeah, I totally get that. So what do you see as the next step in your evolution? And I guess we could take this two ways. It could be your three ways. Your personal evolution as Jared, your professional evolution as sort of whatever it is that you want to accomplish on a job scale and your podcast evolution, which is geared towards a very specific topic.
1: I would say I've been struggling with those questions for the past year and they've been driving me crazy, but I do have a couple of answers, which is nice. (laughs) You know, personally, for me over the last call it a year there's been a really big focus on romantic relationships because i had realized that i'd never truly gone into a romantic relationship being vulnerable in a healthy way and so exploring those be, being close to somebody actually being vulnerable with them and, you know showing them my true colors instead of trying to hide it and everything like that that has been a really cool journey for myself and then just continuing to figure out who Jared actually is. Like, what do I like to do? What do I want to do? What's, what's the kind of person that I want to be? So that's on the personal side. On the professional side, I'd love to get back to being able to work on my own projects full-time, whatever they might be. Again, like my personal and professional lives are so intertwined that I need those projects that I enjoy doing to truly be happy. I like being busy. I like working a lot, sometimes a little bit too much. But
0: I mean, workaholism is a a major thing. (laughs) Yeah. I I think it's fine. Uh, Where I always question myself is I wonder if I'm working as much as I am to cover something else up.
1: For sure. And I had to deconstruct that over the last two years a ton for myself because I was definitely working to cover things up. And so once I took that away, I went, well, do I still have these ambitions? Do I still want to work this much? Do I still want all the things that I thought I wanted? Now, the answer was yes to most of them, but in a very different way. And so I had to do a lot of hard conversations with myself and bringing it up to others and having them try to poke holes in it of, are these the things I actually want to be doing? And luckily I found yes in a sustainable way. And as long as I'm not doing it, like you said, to cover those things up. And then for the podcast, I went through a big reset over the last call six months. So as I was explaining of the reason I had started, it was for a lot of my own journey. And it used to be that just recording an episode was enough because it pushed me out of my comfort zone. It, you know, I got to learn a lot about myself. I got to talk about those topics that you know scared me. But as I got more and more comfortable with it, I went, okay, I need to figure out what is my actual goal with it now? Now that I feel comfortable putting myself out there, now that I feel comfortable having these types of conversations about myself, where do I want to go from here? What direction do I want to talk about? What topics do I want to talk about? And so I had to do a lot of thinking on that. And I've found my stride again over the last couple months. And I've recorded a lot of episodes and found that passion for it again. Still need to release all of them, including ours. <laughs> but, but they're on there. No rush. They're on there. And I've had a lot of really good conversations with a lot of amazing people that have reminded me why one of the, the core reasons why I started it in the first place and just having the the tough conversations that maybe a lot of other people are afraid to have or don't want to have or uncomfortable having. Because I remember one of the hardest things in my own journey was feeling like I was alone and feeling like I was the only one struggling with these things. And so putting those out there, letting people know that other people struggle with them too. And even if that helps just one person, it's all worth it. And so going back to that and ignoring the numbers, ignoring what it can do for me. And going back to if I can help one person, then it's definitely worth it. Because if this can help one person on their own journey to discovering themselves, that's that's more than enough.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. As much as I mean, I would like for this thing to, and I don't mean to sound crass, <laughs> like I would like detoxes detox to make some money. Yep. But is it is not my primary motivation. Uh, my primary motivation is to put these topics out into the world. And to help people. And like you said, if one person says, oh, okay, I'm going to see a therapist. If one person says, okay, I'm going to reconsider my own conditioned masculinity and try to work to be a better person. Then I've done my job. And it doesn't matter if I get paid a thousand dollars or a penny. It, it's worth it. Now it, there's a balance Because this is labor intensive, (laughs) and I would like to get paid for it somehow, but I'm not trying to be commercialist about it at all, or trying to be at least very minimally commercialist about it. The important thing is the message.
1: For sure. And one thing that's helped me a ton with that is realizing that they aren't mutually exclusive. You can help others and help yourself at the same time. You can do it for selfish reasons. And that doesn't mean that you don't also have selfless reasons. And just because you make money off of it doesn't mean that you don't care about the people on the other side. And that's really helped me in thinking about it because I love entrepreneurship. I love making money. I love, I'm super competitive to my core of anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is that a good thing or a bad thing or both or neither?
1: I think it's more context driven than anything of why are you competitive in what settings is it appropriate kind of thing but i don't think it's a bad thing by any means i can be competitive about throwing that paperclip at the wall with you with which i will be (laughs) but we can still be friends afterwards (laughs) right we're we're out playing whatever basketball football like a sport if we're playing sports i'm gonna be dirty i'm gonna push you i'm gonna
0: (laughs) i you know i say the same thing i athletically speaking particularly like even though I am short and old, I, my aim is to kick your ass yeah. and it doesn't get to a point that it did when I was younger, where I was competitive in a very negative sense and was a sore loser and, and getting the fights and all that stuff. But I like winning. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. And there's no shame in saying that. Like no. it's totally cool.
1: No, you can, you can want to win. You can go out there and do anything you can to win. I think it's more accepting your loss when it's handed to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask one completely off topic last question. Because one thing I've noticed while doing this is that I'm interviewing... It's funny. When I started this podcast, my goal was to just kind of go around with a, a little pocket recorder and just have conversations with people in New York. And COVID happened literally a week after the first episode went live. Yeah, And it was like, okay, we're going to have to... At least temporarily change the way that we do things and because of that thank goodness the amount of people that i could speak to opened up and i think you're the first person actually in canada that i am speaking to cool but i've spoken to people all across the united states so i don't know much about canada i've been to toronto once And would love to go back. I, I've met some very, very nice Canadians. What is
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny really quickly too, though. Very similar to my story. I was like, I'm just going to set up the recording, have people come to wherever. I was doing it at like the library. And then COVID hit and I'm like, oh shit, now what? And just getting to meet people. From all over the place, and it was a blessing in disguise for sure. But Calgary's an interesting yeah. place, you know. So where I'm in my province, it's called Alberta. They call us like little Texas. We're basically the Texas of of Canada, you know, <laughs> very oil driven. So lots of oil, lots of money okay. here. I, I would say a li- it tends to be a little bit more conservative as a whole, as opposed to the rest of the country. We have the Rocky Mountains an hour and a half away from us we have banff national park and which is absolutely beautiful if you can ever get out there it's a joy but you know we go from we're very dry very dry of like very hot to very cold too oh i i need to try to figure out some fahrenheit ones right plus 30 in the summers sometimes and then just literally this week it's been negative negative 40 with the wind chill celsius and so yeah (laughs) i need to go
0: through my converter here (laughs) yeah Let's let's see what uh, Google says. The negative forty minus minus forty Celsius equals what in Fahrenheit? It's not telling me anything. (laughs) Anyway, let's just. It's it's probably cold. That is probably very cold.
1: Yes, very very cold. Let's see. I'm gonna see if I can find out. I'm curious, but yeah, Oh, it's literally negative forty Celsius. or sorry, Fahrenheit as well
0: that's see it it came up as negative 40 as well i was like that can't <laughs> yeah. be right um, i guess but it yeah
1: is. so it, call it 86 in the summer negative 40 in the winter big swings like that we also get things called chinooks where like literally it'll be negative negative 40 and it'll swing all the way up into like above freezing in the middle of winter for a couple days then go right back down like it's a very spread out city a huge hockey town and we Love hockey. Everyone here is a Flames fan kind of thing. Like, I, I'm i only a casual fan, and I'm an outcast, basically, right? Like, I was born and raised here, so for me, it's just, like, things just seem normal. We have the Calgary Stampede, which is huge in the summertime, and literally, like, it's what is that? literally 10 days. The whole city shut da- shuts down, basically, and just parties. Like, they have a huge rodeo. They have, It's, like, a big carnival on the side, too, so rides, like, like literally... <laughs> businesses, people just know that you're not working during stampede. Everyone's just drunk for like 10 days. It's, it's weird. It's like, yeah. So I would say those are some, okay. some highlights or low lights, depending how you look on it. Look at it of calories.
0: I mean, that temperature. Thing, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if I could hang with that. That that's a little, that's a little rough. That negative forty. Yeah. My Fahrenheit to Celsius converter broke when I left Michigan in seventh grade. But uh, thanks Jared for reminding me of the difference in temperatures and also, Thank you and no thank you for letting me know how cold it is where you are, and uh, I will make a mental note to not visit during the winter. Anyway, thank you, Jared, for being so open and honest, as as, uh, many of our guests are. Jared also like many of our guests, can be found in different places around the World Wide Web. Uh, He is on Instagram at Jared Salekin. That is J-A-R-E-D-S-A-L-E-K-I-N. And of course, he hosts the Journey with Jared podcast, which you can find on any podcast platform that you enjoy podcasts on. Thanks again, Jared. Hopefully talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Once again, if you want to find me online, hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm on Twitter intermittently at TizMikeJoseph. You can go to Facebook.com Detoxicity. You can email me detoxpod at gmail.com love to hear constructive criticism love to hear feedback would love if you are a potential guest or you know somebody who you think would be a potential guest please by all means reach out to me and remember if you enjoy this podcast subscribe Rate, comment do all of the things necessary to push this podcast up in the podcast rankings and get this into as many ears as possible tell a friend do whatever it is you need to do and uh, thank you once again for listening i personally want to thank the following people for their support uh, calvin williams and jacob block jeff giles and andrew grossman thank you very much i hope all of you stay well stay safe and healthy until next time